Thank you. Great. You guys doing all right? Yes. A couple of you. Well done. <laughs> try, and, try and encourage the others. Um, let's read, shall we, from the scriptures. Romans, Romans 8. Oh, here comes a flip chart. Turn to your neighbor and say, this looks dangerous. <laughs> Simon's got a flip chart. Has he got a license for that thing? I think it might. Well, can you see that at the back, do you think? Shall we put it on the stage? Are we good? Jumping up, sorry. Jake is doing something. Jake is putting it on the stage. Okay, great. It's already dangerous, isn't it? We've only just started. <laughs> okay. I'm not, my name's Simon, part of the team here. Uh, and uh, let's just pray. Shall we, Father, we just thank you for your, this morning. Thank you for just encountering you in worship. Thank you for the wonderful stories of life change. Now, we just pray you open your word to us. Will you speak to us? Will you change us fresh? Will you give us a vision for changing this world one life at a time? And we just say, come fill our hearts with it. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. If you don't, it'll come up on the screen. And uh, Romans has been described as the Everest of the Bible. It's the, it's the, um, it's, I'm not, that wasn't funny, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> it was for Jake, anyway. Um, the Everest of the Bible. It's the, it's the pinnacle of Revelation. It's written by a guy called Paul, um, who was one of Jesus' earliest disciples. And uh, Romans chapter, the, the Romans chapter 8 is the, if, if Romans is the Himalayas, then Romans chapter 8 is the Everest. So let's read a little bit from this. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Elect is um, the people that God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us, praying for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it's written, for your sake we are being killed all day long, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow. <laughs> so I sit down now? I think that's it. We're kind of done, aren't we? Just, just, just chew on those words. Uh, I shared with you guys last year, um, Caroline and I, um, uh, last September, I think it was, or no, actually last May. Um, we got to the point in our marriage, we've been married um, 17 years, and we realized that we were stuck. There were certain areas where we were just stuck, some large areas, some small. We weren't on the point of divorce, but we were just stuck. And we realized that there, there are good parts of our marriage, there are things that were going well, but fundamentally our trajectory was plateau. <laughs> We were stuck. And we thought to, and we talked with the other and decided, do we want to stay here for the rest of our lives? Is this what we want from life? And I think we both realized that we had a dream of marriage and of intimacy and connection that was greater than that which we were experiencing. And so we went to get some help. So we found this guy, um, a marriage counselor, and we got some sessions with him. In fact, still are meeting with him. And um, in the, the, I think at some point we'll probably share more uh, in detail about that, those times and some of the things that we've learned. But I just want to share one point because it happened in the first session. And what happened was, um, there we were chatting away, kind of sharing, and uh, um, the, the guy 
kind of stopped us about 40 minutes, and he said to me, he said, Simon, you do realize you think like a victim. Ouch. I went home, and my friends asked me how it was going, and I said, I'm having marriage counseling with the devil. This... This guy is so unkind. I mean, he's just not, he's just not kind anyway. But, you know, that phrase began a kind of life journey uh, over the last year that has really changed radically some of the, my thinking and identity to the core of who I am. Uh, I don't know about you, but so much in life today makes us feel like victims, <laughs> like things are happening to us that are out of our control. I was uh, speaking, not in this church, in another church, and a guy came up to me afterwards and he said, um, he said, Simon, thank you so much for the message today. He said, um, you'll never be a great preacher like so-and-so, and he named someone else. He said, but you did really well today. I was like, thank you so much for that gem from heaven. That's just, that's just really blessed me. That's just, just give me more. Is there any more where that came from? Just give me more. I heard a story of a wedding where uh, an uncle couldn't be present. And uh, so he asked that the reading of 1 John, John 4, uh, 18 was read. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Unfortunately, the reader didn't know their Bible very well and didn't realize there was a difference between 1 John and John. And so instead of reading 1 John 4, 18, they read John 4, 18, which reads this. For you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. <laughs> Uh, poor bride. <laughs> victims. Things happen to us that make us feel like victims. And there's some humorous examples, but also there's some very serious examples. Carol and I met a lady just recently. Four kids under seven. Partners just walked out on her, withholding money. She's just lost. She's just desperate. A guy I met recently, his uncle, his uh, mother, and his grandfather all died a year apart. Three deaths in three years. All the people closest to him, all dead. Victims. don't know about you, but sometimes life makes us feel like victims or can cause us to feel like victims. And yet, it might be workplace, it might be stuff in the workplace, it might be stuff in the family, it might be circumstances. There's a lot in our nation at the moment that can make us feel like victims or can cause us to feel like victims. And yet sometimes you, you meet someone, don't you, who isn't a victim even though you think they ought to be. Uh, I remember we were on holiday. I think I've told you the story before. We were on holiday one time, and um, it was a strange summer. We knew God was speaking because we met two children in the same space, uh, in, the, in a, a few months apart, both who were missing limbs. Our kids on holiday often pick up other kids that we play with. I've noticed that some parents don't play with their kids on holiday. If that's you, by the way, play with the kids. Anyway, um, and so we collect these children during our holiday, and um, and 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 and, uh, and we've met one one lad, um, and he had he. he he was missing a leg, and then we met another um, a lad on the beach, and he was, was missing an arm, and he had incredible balance, so when our kids would run across the, the rocks, they were kind of struggling a little bit, not used to it, but he would just fly across, we found out later he'd had training on his balance, he, he had incredible balance, but incredible self-assurance of who he was, we were playing catch with a tennis ball in the water, the ball was wet, it's slippery, and obviously he's trying to catch it with one hand. And so we're throwing it, and I said to, to my son who was playing, I said, let's put one hand behind our back, so, you know, so we're all, you know, we're all kind of using, you know, let's just put one hand behind our backs. So anyway, this lad, Freddie, holds up his stump and says, I've only got one hand, as if we hadn't noticed, you know. 
is, uh, and we're, so we're sitting down, um, uh, Caroline was sitting down, we had an ice cream, and we sat down, bought Freddie one, we sat down with an ice cream, and uh, 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 Freddie says, I'm the only one in my school with one of these, and Caroline said, uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And he said this, I chose to make it a good thing. I chose to make it a good thing. Then he went on to say how he was the fastest swimmer in his school only, with only one arm. Uh, no, he was the fastest swimmer even though he had, had one arm. And, and just, just incredible, this lad and his, and his spirit. And, you know, there's some things in life that can make us feel like victims or could make us feel like victims, but I think this, the message of the scriptures is that there is a choice. I... Um, Remember the story of David in the Bible. David is the favoured king in the Old Testament. Uh, God has put his favour on him. And, and yet he's not yet king. There's a guy called Saul who's king. And Saul uh, really likes David and, and thinks that David is good news. So kind of brings him into his family, brings him into his kind of community, his closest followers. Uh, but then because David's got the favour of God on him, he suddenly starts to get the favour of the people around him. And suddenly people are thinking more of David than they do of Saul. And so Saul becomes incredibly jealous. And what happens is through one thing or another, Saul tries to kill David. And then David has to flee. He's warned that you're going to die if you don't run. And so he runs with a, a, a small band of followers. He escapes from Saul's palace. And Saul, with the army of the Israel, begins to chase David. David and to follow him and to try and track him, track him down. And, and uh, what happens is in this story, David comes to a cave and they're just exhausted. They've got no food and they're out of resources and nowhere left to run. And so they run as a, as a group into the, this cave and hide at the back. They hide at the back of this cave. Um, and um, what happens in the story is that as they're hiding in the back of the cave, and I love the Bible because it's so real, Saul goes in to relieve himself to go to the toilet. I mean, there's no porter loose in those days. You used caves or whatever. So he goes into the cave on his own, obviously, because, you know, for discretion. And he goes into the cave, and there's an opportunity in the cave because he doesn't know David and his men are hiding in the back of the cave. So as he's relieving himself, David has an opportunity to kill Saul in the cave. He doesn't kill him, he almost kills him. And what happens when Saul goes out of the cave? is that David, uh, as while he, Saul was there in the cave, he cut, instead of killing him, he cut off a corner of, a, of his cloak. And so he comes out of the cave and holds up this corner of the cloak and says, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Why are you chasing me? I'm a flea on the back of a dog. Why are you chasing me? I'm no one. Why are you chasing me, trying to kill me? I could have killed your life, but I didn't. And Saul is kind of cut to the heart and repentant, saying, I now know that you'll be king instead of I am. And, and, and when you are king, don't, don't kill me. And, and that's how the, the story goes. And most of us kind of learn um, and operate. And I got introduced to this kind of model of relationships. And it looks a bit like this. I think it's going to come on the screen as well in case you can't read my writing. There's this place at the bottom called, called the victim. And the victim is to be the effect of things around us. It's the feeling that so often we get of, I'm out of control, I'm powerless, there's nothing I can do to escape this, I'm just stuck. It's the feeling that we often live with. It might be traffic, it might be the time, it might be the way that people around you are behaving, work or in the family. It's to feel disempowered. 
David is, in this story, is the classic victim position, isn't he? He's in a cave. There's nowhere to go. There's no way out. He's just stuck. He's completely powerless. His life could end at any moment. That's the victim position. You know, when you're in this role, you, you, you really feel pretty desperate. You feel, and it, and it might be in a small way or it might be in a large way, you feel like there's just nothing you can really do to escape. This is all, you can start thinking things like, this is always happening to me. I can't believe it. Why am I here again? How did I get into this place? Why did I choose that or this? And, and this kind of model was developed by a guy called Stephen Cartman. And uh, he said there's another way that people can behave, which is the rescuer. And the rescuer is linked to the victim. Now, you might think, well, surely rescuer is a good thing, but actually rescuer is not a, not a good thing. You know the old proverb that says, if you teach a man to fish, then if you, if you give a man a fish, he'll have food for the night. But if you teach a man to fish, he'll have food for the rest of his life. The rescuer is the first one. It's giving a man a fish. It's that kind of dependence. The rescuer needs the victim. They work together. And the rescuer is forever uh, trying to, uh, to stay linked to the victim. I don't know if you've ever known people like this, or maybe you are a certain person like this. And they go from one, one victim to another victim to another. They're always surrounded by victims that they are helping. And the rescuer actually feels good about helping. They actually get a sense of identity from helping. I'm a helpful person. I'm a helpful person. And they often burn up their own resources and sometimes the resources of those around them. Rescuing other people... It's not actually a healthy position at all. You know, we can rescue ourselves. We get home. It's a hard day at work. Where do we go? The fridge. Rescue me. <laughs> rescue. Do we rescue ourselves at the fridge or at the bar or watching TV? We can rescue ourselves. It doesn't actually fix the problem, but it just gives this kind of temporary relief to the problem. I remember um, one time I, I was coming home, had a hard day at work, and I came home, and there I was um, in the kitchen alone, and we had a sweetie basket for the kids. And uh, so I looked, I looked in the sweetie basket, and there was three identical, really nice chocolate bars. And I thought, oh, that's such a bad... I'm gonna, I'm, and the little voice in the back of my head was saying, I think they're for the kids. You've got three kids, there's three chocolate bars. They're really nice ones. The little, little voice was like, shut up. I'm having one of those chocolate bars, so I ate one. Anyway, the next day, I had a really bad day as well, so I came home. I thought, well, I've had one now. I might as well have another one. So I had another one. <laughs> and then a couple of days, I, you know, the next day, perhaps, you know, I swayed, you know, I thought, anyway, the, the, the kind of, then I had another one. I, well, I, I, I was in for a penny, in for a pound by that point. I was like, I came home on Friday into the kitchen to three stormy faces and their mother. <laughs> where are our chocolate bars we've been saving those all week and Caroline is like they, I've been telling them no all week they couldn't have them all week <laughs> rescuer I'm sh I can't remember what happened I'm sure I bought them replacements I can't remember <laughs> rescuer we can rescue ourselves can't we mindlessly doing things, even breaking our own principles, breaking the things that we know we shouldn't be doing. We rescue ourselves because of this need. And we feel like a victim, so we rescue ourselves. You know, in this story, what happens while David's in the cave, his men say to him, now is the time to kill Saul. Kill Saul. God's delivered him into your hands. They try and rescue David. They are not going to fix the problem. They are actually going to make the problem worse. It's an, it's, that's how rescuers often do. They don't often fix the problem. They just make the problem worse. 
And David's men take this position as rescuers. You, you see it on social media. You know, someone will put on, you know, having a terrible day, don't know how much, how much longer I can take this. And then you watch the comment, comments as the rescuers run in. Don't worry, hon, you'll be all right. People are standing with you. It'll be okay. Dum, 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 dum. Seriously, someone who's actually going to help does not go on Facebook. They pick up the phone and say, what's going on? Come on, let's get together. Let's talk. But you watch those comments go on. The victim puts their comment on and then the rescuers... What happens? They just feel a little bit better about themselves. You know, I just helped the world through Facebook. You did not help the world. If you really wanted to help, you'd pick up the phone and call that person and help them. That hit a nerve, didn't it? The rescuer likes to keep the person actually as a victim because they need, they need each other. They need each other. The, the third... One is this one, the persecutor. And you're thinking, no, that's definitely not me. I might occasionally be the other two, but that is definitely not me. The persecutor basically blames. They blame either, they blame in three ways. They can blame themselves. I wish I hadn't made that decision. Why did I do that? I wish I hadn't done that. Or... I can blame you. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't be in this situation. If it weren't for my parents or my boss or whatever, I can blame you. Or I can just blame everyone. I can blame the world. I can blame the man. I can blame the government or the politicians. I can blame, the, you know, I can blame anyone. I can sh- if I'm in a persecuted mode, I can let that blame fly. Saul is the persecutor in this story. He actually starts as the victim because he's feeling jealous and like David's going to rob something from him, but he very quickly moves to the persecutor. He becomes the persecutor. Persecutor. If I just fix David, my issues will go away. Frustrated, self-righteous, a bit of a bully. The, perse- the rescuer wants to help the victim. The persecutor wants to hurt the victim. You know, in this passage in Romans 8, we see the persecutor is not always a person. This is what it says. Trouble or calamity persecution or hunger or destitution or danger or being threatened by death. You know, a couple of years ago when I was sick with an unknown cause, the persecutor was my sickness. And I didn't know if it was my fault or something had happened to me, but I was being persecuted and I became the victim on the inside. You know, when we play the persecutor... What we feel is someone's out to get me and I've got to attack them. Attack is the best method of defense. That's what we feel. And we get frustrated and we get self-righteous and we get uptight and we start to blame. You know, I've told you the story before one time when I, I, I hit my... I was out doing some DIY, which I did not want to do, and I hit my thumb with a hammer. Oh, it hurt. And I looked around to make sure no one was looking and I looked at that hammer and I said... I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. And I smashed the hammer into the concrete floor (laughs) as if that was going to help, apart from break up my path and cause me another job. (laughs) But that's the persecutor, isn't it? (laughs) We just lash out. I've got a friend who, you know, for many years, his response when something would go wrong, he would hit his head against the wall literally would go home and if he'd made a bad decision he'd hit his head against the wall that's the persecutor right there blame myself for what's happened 
Or he just turns to the person next to you and says, I don't relate to any of these. I hope you're getting something out of this. We've got to move on. The reality is we all play all three of these roles. And if you think I'm never the persecutor, then you've not understood. We, we, we do it by freezing something out. The interesting thing is that every one of us has a starting gate, a place that we normally go to. And sometimes it depends on a relationship. Sometimes it's just the role that we play very often. What the guy, the marriage counselor, picked up with me is that very often I went into relationships as the, as the, as the victim. And the other thing is that we often move from one to the other. And so what would happen, and in, in the next service, Caroline will be here so she can witness I'm going to say the same thing, is what would happen is I would would be the victim and I would be in self-pity and stuck and Caroline would try and rescue me and she would try and pull me out of my pit of darkness and when it wouldn't work she would switch to persecutor <laughs> she would start pounding me and then I would and then I would not I would think I'm not having this and so I would move to persecutor I'd start pounding on her and then she not literally hitting each other by the way and then she would move and then she would move into victim and then I would try and rescue her <laughs> And round and round we would go in this little merry dance. We often move between these places. Notice that David's men start as victims like David, then they move to rescuer and then they move to persecutor. Saul starts as a victim and then he moves to persecutor and then at the end of the story he moves back to victim. He says, when you do become king, don't kill me. Don't don't, Don't kill me and my descendants. You know, we can all end up playing one of these roles. The question is, how do we get out? And this is the reality. The victim needs to move to a new place. The victim needs to move to be creator. Galatians 1, uh, Genesis 1 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our own likeness. When God has a problem, he doesn't wring his hands thinking, Oh, woe is me, what am I going to do? You know, the angels aren't as helpful as I thought, and the devil's a lot meaner, and these people are just hopeless. He doesn't wring his hands. What does he do? He creates a solution. He creates his way out. And Genesis 1 tells us we have been made in his image. We have not been made as victims, we've been made as creators. And so when we're stuck, we never are really stuck. When we're hopeless, we never are really hopeless because we are in him, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Notice Paul's thinking in Romans 8. What shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors. That creative spirit needs to rise up in us, particularly those of us who are believers, because we've got Christ in us. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. So when we begin to feel like victims or operate like rescuers or persecutors, we need to stop. And we just say, this is not who I am. I am a creator. I am a creator because I'm made in the image of the great creator. Notice Freddie with his one arm. What did he say? He said, Caroline said, is it a good thing or a bad thing? He said, I decided to make it a good thing. That's a creator right there. That's when your mess becomes a message. That's when your test becomes a testimony because you decide to make it a good thing. You can make it into something if you so choose and call. And, and you see this thinking right the way through Scripture. Philippians 4, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. John 16, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Job 19, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. Job, everything's been robbed from him. He's got nothing. He's got no hope. He's absolutely hopeless. And what does he say? I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will stand upon the earth at last. He calls on that creative spirit within himself. 
And, and you see in the Psalms, actually, you get to read David's inward thoughts. You get to hear his thoughts as he's in the cave. And this is what he writes in Psalm 142. In the path where I walk, they've hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. It's classic victim thinking, isn't it? It's hopeless. It's desperate. There's no way out. He's about to kill Saul. He's about to move to the persecutor. His men are egging him on, saying, kill him. He deserves to die. He's trying to kill you. Kill him. He tries to move to this place, but he stops himself. And he jumps off this triangle onto this one and becomes the creator and creates a solution in cutting the robe that ultimately gave him the kingdom. Even Saul recognized, you are the true king because of his actions. And this is what it says in, the, in Psalm 142 as you move on. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my, persecution, my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me. You will deal bountifully with me. Think about this. His thinking radically changes in that psalm. First, he says this, God is my saviour. He is the one who's going to rescue me. I don't need to be my own rescuer. I don't need anyone else to rescue me. God himself is my saviour. You, O Lord, are my redeemer and my saviour. Second, he he moves into worship, that I may give praise to your name. Rescue me, God, so I can praise you because I'm a worshipper on this earth and I'm going to worship you through my deliverance and my salvation. And then notice what he does. He pictures a new future. He says this, the righteous will surround me. Notice that. Where is he? In a cave. Who's he surrounded by? His enemies. What does he say? I can see a new future. I can see a new future where the righteous instead of my enemies surround me. His thinking changes and out of that place comes this creative solution. Where I'm a victim, I need to recall that Christ Jesus came in and took the place of the ultimate victim. In fact, he stepped in. That role is already taken. Jesus became the victim of victims. It happened to him. Injustice. When he died on the cross, he became the victim of victims in our place so that we can now choose. Christ Jesus is the one who died, Romans 8 says. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So the victim needs to become the creator. The rescuer needs to become the coach. Notice in this triangle, the victim is underneath. That's how you can tell often if you're being a rescuer or a persecutor, you're looking down on the person. You're looking down on them. You can see when you feel, when you look around a group and you think, I can see you're a victim, you're a victim, you're a victim, you know you're operating as a rescuer right then. Even if you help them, you'll be helping them from the wrong place. But when you act as a coach, you're recognizing this person is a creator. Now, I might be able to help them and assist them and come alongside them, but I'm not going to rescue them. You can tell the difference between the rescuer and the coach because when, you're, uh, when your help is pushed back or not taken, when you're a rescuer, what do you do? You're like, how dare they? I am, I am a vision of God. How dare you not listen to me? I have the words of eternal life. How dare you not listen to me? And what do we do? We become persecutors. And someone else talks about that person. We say, oh, yeah, well, I tried to help them. <laughs> 
When, our, when, when, the, when the person doesn't respond to our help, you can tell if you're a rescuer or not by how you respond. If you're a coach, you're like, well, that's fair enough. If you don't want to take my... It's not, no skin off my nose. That's fine. I don't mind. It's your life. You are the person who can get yourself out of this place. I can help you. I can come alongside you. It's a very different approach. Biblical thinking around this. You know, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. What he's doing is he's putting the tools within people to get themselves out of any mess. You are not an orphan. You will hear my voice. You are creators. We have to ask ourselves, am I leading someone to be more dependent on me or am I leading someone to be more dependent on Christ? If it's, if it's the former, then we're a rescuer. If it's the latter, then we're a coach because that's what coaches do. The rescuer needs to become the coach. And, and, the, and the persecutor needs to become the challenger. The biblical word for it is exhortation. Notice when Wendy, at the beginning of the meeting today, she called us into worship. That's exhortation. You see it right the way through Scripture. 2 Timothy 4. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Other examples, the battle is not against flesh and blood. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. Flee sexual immorality. The scripture is full, filled with what this? Challenge, exhortation. Exhortation to live the life that we can live as creators. There's a role for that as well. It's not persecuting, it's not beating up on people. You know, we have an option to choose which triangle we're going to live in. Each of us particularly those of us who are believers, have an option to choose. If you are not a believer today, if you're not yet a Christian, then you have a choice as well. And that choice is this. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. It starts with Christ. It starts with coming into relationship with him. And as we do, we get that life-giving, creative spirit within us, which enables us to make a difference to the world around. What What would it look like for you and I to live instead of victims as creators. Isn't that what the world needs? Isn't that what your workplace or your family or your street needs? If we're as stuck as the world around us, God help the world. Because we're called to be the salt of the earth. We're called to be the light of the world. We do not have an option to be stuck. We've got Christ in us, the hope of glory. And what I've, as I've been on the journey this year, and the paint is still very wet on this, but I've realized that so many areas of my life and my thinking that were stuck have begun to move or have moved as I've embraced a new way of thinking. Even the very feeling of being stuck now has an element of excitement to me because <laughs> I start to think, okay, I'm surrounded by my enemies. What future could I picture where I'm surrounded by the righteous? I'm surrounded by difficulty. I'm surrounded by my own stuff that I can't seem to escape. What picture can I see? How, what God have you, what way have you got for us out of this? What creative way is there out of this? And things that have been stuck for years, things between Caroline and I that have been stuck for years have started to move. And it's not that we had a terrible marriage before. We had a good marriage. But we've just realized and discovered there is more to be had. There is more to be had. There is more this side of heaven, of intimacy and connection and adventure together. And we've been on that journey learning 
together? What would it look like for each of us to begin to shift, to live out of this place? We are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Have a think this week in the areas where you feel stuck. Think about, where am I thinking like a victim? Where am I coming at this like a victim? And what would it look like for the creator to arise? (laughs) The creator in me to step up and play their part. Amen.